we've been going through the life of David, a man after God's own heart. We saw him being raised as a, a shepherd boy by the Lord and how God was with him in every season of his life. We got to see how he fought the bear as he protected his sheep. We got to see how he fought against a lion and God gave him victory. And then God gave him victory over the giant Goliath. And Samuel had anointed him to be king over Israel. And then Saul, the king of Israel, becoming jealous of David and his fame, sought to seek to kill David. And he pursued him. And time after time, David would show to Saul that he had no reason to be chasing him. David would say, how dare I put my hand against the Lord's anointed. And David even had opportunities to take Saul's life. And people would encourage him, this is from the Lord. God is giving you Saul into your hand. And David would say, no, I'm not going to go against the Lord's anointed. And Saul was still pursuing after him. And we see how Saul was now being driven into this madness. Where we see a, a man as, such as Saul was given this opportunity. He was anointed of the Lord. But he failed. He failed in being obedient when God had commanded him to do things. God had commanded him to wipe out the Amalekites, but he didn't. He kept the king alive and the best of their flocks. You see, Saul wasn't after God's heart. He was after his own selfishness. This study that we're about to get into, I titled it, The King, the Witch, and the war. Now, we're going to get to see how these three different aspects take place in, in the life of Saul. And this is really Saul's uh, demise here that we uh, observe. But in 1 Samuel, beginning with chapter 27, we're going to read some of the verses in chapter 27. So it says in verse 1, And David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me see, to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. You see, previously when, when David was on the run from Saul, he had come to the same king before, the king of Gath. And he pretended to be insane in front of him because David understood that after killing 200 Philistines, that perhaps this Philistine king would seek to kill him. And so he acted like a madman and slobber dripped down his beard. 
But here, now, David is again before this king, Achish of Gath. But now David has 600 men with him, a leader. So I'm sure King Achish understood that perhaps David was playing the madman or he had regained his sanity and became this leader of 600. In verse three, so David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household. And David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelites, Nabal's widow. We read about that last week. In verse four, and it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, let then give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him a Ziklag that day. Therefore, a Ziklag has belonged to the king of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. You see now David, with his polygamous marriages, came to the king of Philistine and he ended up abiding there with them. This was the enemy of the Israelites. But David, in this season of his life, is still being prepared by God. You see, David was in this preparation period before he could become king. He had to learn these lessons in the wilderness and on the run. He would learn how to survive in the wilderness. He would learn how to use military tactics in the wilderness. And this is gonna take major effect later on in David's life of him fighting in the wilderness. In verse 11, Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of the Jeremelites or against the southern area of the Kenites. So Achish believed David, saying he has made his people, Israel, utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. Now, some of the parts in chapter 27 we're not going to read, but David was killing these tribes of people. It, it said that he would wipe out the entire towns. Now, I, as a Bible teacher, cannot excuse David for doing this. David was a man of war, and the Bible is not glorifying David's actions here. But I, I, I will mention this, that God was sovereign over everything. That later on, uh, as David is conquering these lands, that they would become inherited by the Israelites as promised to Abraham. When we look at the, the timeline of the Bible, of where we're at now, studying the character of David, back in Genesis, we started off with Abraham. And then Abraham, he was the first Jew. He was the first Israelite. And from him, you have his descendants, Isaac and then Jacob. And the, the Bible talks about them a lot. And then Jacob, 
he has his son Joseph, and then Joseph and the family go to Israel. I'm sorry, to Egypt. So then they're put under 400 years of slavery after Joseph's time. And then after 400 years, Moses rises up and he leads the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And then from there, you have the accounts of Joshua, Moses' successor, his right-hand man. You see, Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land, but Joshua, his successor, did. Joshua took the people into the promised land that was promised to Abraham long before. But there were still many battles in the promised land. And as they would fight against these Philistines and the Canaanites and all these tribes of people who God was telling them to move forward in, God would give them victory. But then when the people would turn away from the Lord, the Lord would allow the surrounding enemies to attack them and to overcome them and sometimes even to enslave them. And so then God would then have these judges rise up these redeemers of the Israelites. We have the book of Judges. One of those judges was Samson. And Samson was constantly fighting off the the Philistines. And then after the time of the judges, though, the the people, the Israelites, as they were a, a theocracy following the priesthood and what God had ordained, they began to seek after a man who would be king. They wanted a man to govern and rule them in all the areas of their life. So they begged the prophet Samuel. They said, Samuel, give us a king. Give us a king. And Samuel was like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And then God said, look, these people's hearts are hard. So I'm going to allow them to have what they're asking. And he gave them King Saul, who failed at being a king. So now this is the, where we're at here in this portion of, of Saul's life. And maybe all that pride, that glory got to Saul's head. In chapter 28, we're going to get into uh, the topic of Saul consulting this medium, this psychic. So let's look at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 28. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. And David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. What's interesting to note is how David was able to be at peace with even the enemies. David would later go on to write all about being at peace with his enemies and how God is the reason he was able to be at peace with his enemies. He would write Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, perhaps you guys know this passage. It reads this. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's something that we see to to be true is that God is with us in every valley, on every mountaintop experience. He is with us there when we're in the presence of our enemies. And he causes us to be at peace that he would write that he would prepare a table before him in the presence of his enemies. So we see David writing these things. Now back in 1 Samuel, in verse 3, it says, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him, and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. We see in this chapter, Saul's first mistake. He had his eyes on the enemy rather than on God. In verse six, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams by Urim or by the prophets. You see, he's now so afraid that he seeks the advice of the Lord, but God is silent. God doesn't answer him. Now it lists here in verse six, three methods which Saul sought to seek the Lord, but God was silent in them. The first method was through dreams. And the Bible talks about how God in various times spoke through dreams. The Bible talks about Joseph. He had dreams concerning his family honoring him. Joseph also, he would go on later to interpret the dreams of the two convicts in jail, in the prison, and then also to interpret Pharaoh's dream, the Pharaoh of Egypt. In the book of Daniel, Daniel the prophet interpreted dreams of Nebuchadnezzar twice. And Daniel himself also had a dream of four different beasts, which represented the four nations that would take over the world. In the New Testament, Joseph and Mary, uh, when Mary became pregnant with Jesus by the Holy Spirit, Joseph was debating if I should Uh, separate and break off the engagement and he wanted to do so privately and then this angel appears to him in a dream and tells him, look, you you don't need to be afraid but to take Mary as a wife for the thing for Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit within her. Again in the New Testament, Pontius Pilate's wife, he warned 
she warned him to leave Jesus alone because of these things that she had suffered in a dream concerning him. So we do see that there are plenty of times in the Bible when God was speaking through dreams, that people were seeing uh, these visions through dreams. And what else does the the Bible say about dreams? Because then at that point, is every dream from the Lord? Well, Acts chapter two, verse 17 says this. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So this is now referring to the the, the age right before the coming of the Lord of Jesus Christ back to his, his church, that the, the young men are going to see visions and the old men are going to see dreams, dream dreams. Now, I'm, I'm not going to debate with a, a person whether their, their dream is, is from the Lord or not, but I am going to tell them to line it up with Scripture. For in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For in the multitude of dreams and in many words... There is also vanity, but fear God. You see, Ecclesiastes 5, 7 is warning us that in the multitude of dreams and many words, sometimes there's nothing. Sometimes it it doesn't mean anything. It's just wind. And it's a warning not to, to put too much weight on all the dreams that we have. Again, in Jeremiah 29, verse 8, It says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. Again, so the warning is, you know what? Look at the word of God. Line up your your visions with scripture. Because if somebody comes to me and is telling me that they had a dream that they were to, in the dreams was leading them to, to leave their wife and marry another woman, I, I would tell that, man, no, you're, you're way off your rocker. That's not, it goes against the, the word. So we need to be careful with our dreams. And sometimes it is just the burrito that you had the night before, the spicy ones. The second one, in 1 Samuel that Saul was seeking to find the the voice of the Lord. He said, by Urim. What is the Urim? The the Urim, they were actually referred to as the Urim and the Thummim. And it was a method of of casting lots for the high priest. You see, uh, God had ordained in Exodus 28, a method for the high priest to determine the will of the Lord. So there were these black and white stones and they had, the priest would take them and do some sort of casting of lots in order to determine yes, go or, or no, don't go. And the, the high priest would use this. Now, the casting lots was the practice in the Old Testament. And the last time that we see it mentioned in the Bible is in the book of Acts. You guys remember after the 
resurrection of Jesus, the disciples sought after a man to take the position of Judas, his apostleship. And so they began to figure out who would be that next man to take Judas's place. And they cast lots. And it fell, the lot fell on the man named Matthias. And this was the only time that Matthias is mentioned in the Bible. And this is the last time you ever hear of the casting of lots. And then later on, Jesus himself would claim Paul to be the Lord's apostle. So there's just an interesting take on, was it the Lord who who chose Matthias or, or was it man? And then Paul rising up to be the next apostle. So we're not to cast lots anymore. Um, I, I would highly caution anyone from beginning to make those little bargains in their mind with God. Okay, God, if, if I see a bird within the next two minutes, it means that you're telling me to go and buy this house and all of a sudden a bird shows up but you happen to live in Southern California where there's a bunch of birds flying around everywhere. Don't cast lots like that before the Lord. Trust in the word. Trust in God and his word, him speaking through the word, through prayer, through fellowship, through the teaching of the word. Saul also sought to seek counsel from the prophets and he wasn't getting any word from them either. Now, I don't know if he was really finding those prophets and Samuel was dead. But in Deuteronomy 18, verse 22, it says this. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously you shall not be afraid of him. So if somebody claiming to be a prophet says something and doesn't come to pass, then the Lord didn't speak it. We don't need to be afraid of those things. So how do we hear the voice of the Lord? Well, Hebrews 1.1 says this. Makes it much simpler. In Hebrews 1.1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. See, that's Jesus. That's Jesus, the word that became flesh, dwelt among us, died for our sins, resurrected, sent his Holy Spirit now. He speaks to us through the word, through prayer. And that's what a relationship is. You want to get to know God? then you have to spend time with him. You have to develop and cultivate the relationship that you have with the Lord. It works like any other relationship where if you don't talk to someone, spend time with them, then the relationship gets strained. And that happens with our relationship with our father. And what a time to be growing in our relationship with the Lord now in the season that we're in. A lot of the comforts of life, the entertainment has been taken away. So I would encourage you guys, you know, maybe um, don't always go to the Netflix. Don't always go to Hulu. Uh, Spend some time in 
prayer. Spend some time on your knees. Get to the word. And this is all about learning the voice of the Lord. Now, back in 1 Samuel, in verse 7, it says, Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Now it would seem that the women in his area were either large or small, but Saul desired a woman who was a medium. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I can't help myself. Saul, though, was seeking after this psychic because he wasn't getting answers from anywhere else. And he now began to seek after things that were sin because he wasn't getting those answers. And this is a warning for us never to do this. Now, when the Lord didn't answer Saul, it, it wasn't in the sense that he had, was completely finished with him. He desired Saul to turn to repent from his sin. Saul should have been repenting instead of trying to get his selfish mission accomplished on another way. See, sometimes God is silent with us because he desires that we draw close to him with our hearts. But Saul's heart was far from God. In verse eight, so Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes and he went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. You see, Saul, he had to go in disguise because he had to hide his sin. Remember, he had already made the law that all the mediums and the psychics were to be put out of the, the nation. So he now he's going to seek after the very people he's outcasted. So he disguises himself to hide his sin. And you know, if, if that's you, if you're disguising yourself to hide sin, Repent. One of my uh, pastors from the, from the Bible college had told me he was sharing one time and he, he started just to speak hypothetically amongst, amongst this crowd of men. And he started to say, you know, if you're planning on, you know, putting on your hat and your, your shades and going to the strip club that's in another town today, like, just stop, repent. And then after the service, some man came up to him and he was literally had the hat and the shades ready because he was going to go out to partake in the strip club. And then he was like, oh my gosh, like God had stopped him from doing that through the word. So don't disguise yourself to hide your sin. Let the truth set you free. Now these, the seance, when you look up the word seance that was used here in verse eight, because he's asking for this ritual to be performed. The literal meaning in the Hebrew, it's to practice divination, always by the false prophets, the evokers of the dead. And the the primary idea appears to be that of cutting. So this is kind of dark and, and 
quite scary where why why would it say this uh, idea of cutting we see elsewhere in the bible that many times in these pagan rituals as they would cry out to their false gods they would begin to cut themselves remember that with the prophets of uh, elijah and the prophets of baal they all began to cut themselves in this ceremony to to bring their gods down and it failed but i do see or I, I could say I, I theorize a, a, a relation with the cutting of oneself to be demonic. And I see that taking place in a lot of uh, young women's lives. Um, and it's something that we should pray for these young women who are doing this, love on them, show them how much God is, is blessing them and how much Jesus loves them and wants to, to take a hold of their life. And if that's something that maybe you, you're listening right now and, and you've struggled with this, Jesus loves you. And there is power, there is light, so much power over darkness. There's power and hope from depression, from anxiety. And Jesus already made that ultimate sacrifice where we no longer have to. We simply accept love and, and we grow in our faith. We, do, we die to ourselves, the old flesh, but we walk forward in this new li- newness of life. More, more recently, uh, concerning these, these mediums that you see, they're on TV now. They have the shows. I, I just, I'd never heard of this one until recently. There's some Long Island medium and all these other, you had, I remember John Edwards was another guy. And sometimes these people are just really great at lying. They're really they're lying psychologists where they could read people's um, just emotions and, and, and body movements where they can know and they're, they're saying things. Uh, they're bringing out information from people's minds and it makes it seem like they're psychic. It makes it seem like they have this spiritual connection, but in reality, they're just using mind tricks on people to make them think that there's some sort of connection there. Now, there's those types, but then there's sometimes those who are the real deal, who are literally working with demonic spirits. The Bible refers to them as familiar spirits. Perhaps you've heard of, of your, your cousin or your, your aunt, your sister saw, you know, your uncle who had passed away in World War II was walking around in the house from, and he was a ghost or something. They're referred to as familiar spirits. Now, understand that. That Satan and his demons, they've been around on this world for a long time. So they know how to familiarize themselves with our lives, and they've been here forever. They're, they're running around everywhere. And it's not something that we need to be afraid of as Christians. Um, more recently, uh, again, I, I recall I had to do a presentation in college, and this was before I became a Christian. And there was a public speaking class, and I, I was doing, I, I think, rather well in the class for my presentation so far. And then the last presentation we had to do at the end of the semester was a persuasive speech, where we had to persuade the class of a topic and something that you kind of figured was the truth. And as a non-believer, 
I decided to do it on the topic of angels and demons being real. And so I remember I, I prepared for my, my speech, I prepared for my notes, and then I went to class that day, and uh, as I went up to go give my persuasive speech, suddenly this weird out-of-body feeling came where I, I couldn't remember anything of what I had taught, even though my notes were in front of me, and I be started to, to sweat and became like very like afraid and anxious, which I had never experienced at that point. And my stomach started to turn, and I remember just feeling like, oh my gosh, like this is like, I feel like I'm bombing, and it was, it was terrible. And I just remember I felt like I didn't understand what happened. Like I felt like I was like, what happened? I prepared. All the other speeches I did were good. But for some reason, when I went to go basically put Satan on blast, I, I kind of believe that there is some demonic presence that like just messed me up that day. And I didn't, wasn't walking with the Lord. So it was interesting. Um, I'll, t I'll tell you one more uh, account that I want to share with you. As a Christian, I, I was blessed to have the opportunity to go to the LA County Fair. And we went there and we were actually there to uh, evangelize. We're starting conversations with the people. And we walked by this tent and it said psychic on it. And there was a guy standing outside who was, you know, selling tickets and letting people go in. And I felt led to strike a conversation with him. So I did. I started to talk to him. I wanted to ask, I started off with just asking how he thought that the psychics were able to, to get their so-called powers, how they were able to receive knowledge of, about people and about life circumstances. And I started this dialogue with him. And uh, towards the end of the conversation, I, I started to, to let him know, well, hey, just so you know, like, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe this is actually, if this is legit, that this is real. I believe that there is uh, a God and that there are also angels and demons. And I started to share with him. And I remember at the end of the conversation, he, he told me that he listened to me because I didn't come at him with, anger or with, or with hatred, but he said that in his experience that uh, other Christians had gone by and thrown stuff at him, and he had been standing out there, and his wife was the psychic, and he would stand out there, and Christians would say uh, terrible things to him in all, all, all these different areas, and I realized, man, he, he listened because I, I was trying to show love to him, and yes, people are lost. And yes, they need to know the truth. But I, I believe that we have to give people truth with love. You see, uh, love without truth is hypocrisy. And truth without love is brutality. So we need to have both together. Now, continuing on as, as we're looking at Saul now, he's in the disguise and he, he's seeking this psychic lady and he asked her for this ceremony, the seance to be conducted. And in verse nine, it says, then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord saying, 
as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, who shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice and the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. So notice here that she screams in this revelation of Samuel coming out of the earth. It's before her. So perhaps this kind of caught her off guard. Perhaps she was tapping into this uh, demonic realm and it would work a certain way. But now uh, a literal being is coming out of the earth. Samuel. In verse 13. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me? Seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. So the seance, it seemingly worked. Samuel came out of the earth and he reprimanded Saul's actions though. And he told them that tomorrow Saul and his sons, they're gonna die in battle which is exactly what we read is going to happen. Now, there are people, including myself, who we've read this passage and people have asked, like, well, did God really allow this? Did God allow this witch to bring Samuel up out of the earth? Now, I believe that when it comes to the Bible, the obvious interpretation is usually the correct interpretation. Uh, now, I'm not going to say 100% that I know this was Samuel coming up out of the earth, but that's what it, it looks like. 
because there's this, this realm, the spiritual realm. Now, this isn't something that we need to be scared of as Christians. God has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us, to live within us. It's just something that we need to know about, that there is a demonic realm. You see, the Bible talks all about it. Revelation chapter 12, it gives us insight of when Satan and his demons were cast to the earth and Satan had drew a third of the angels with him who became demons. And once they made that decision, God had set them in that will that they chose. He confirmed their will. Again, in, in Mark chapter five, you don't need to turn there, but it reads, we read about the demoniac of the gatherings, how he was filled with this legion of demons in him. And he, it says that he also too would cut himself. And he would be there in chains and he would break the chains because he had this supernatural strength. And he came running to Jesus and then fell at Jesus' feet. And the demons began to speak to Jesus. What have you to do with us, O son of the living God? And Jesus told the demoniac, what is your name? And they said, I am legion for we are many. So he had all these demons in his body. And Jesus he broke through that darkness. When the demons saw that Jesus was there, they said, look, don't send us to hell. Just cast us out of this man. Cast us into this herd of pigs that are here before us. And Jesus said, go. So they recognized that Jesus was God. They bowed down to him. And they said, please don't send us to hell. So Jesus allowed them to go into this herd of pigs. And the pigs then began to run down this hill and right into the sea there. And they drowned in the sea, the Sea of Galilee. And this is this very amazing account of the power of God over this demonic realm. I, I was actually got to visit the site of the gatherings and they have the tombs up there. And uh, if you go with, uh, with my pastor, Raul, he was there. Uh, Sonny Sandoval was giving uh, a message on this same topic. And then Pastor Raul went hiding in the background. And when no one was... When he got to this kind of part, all of a sudden, Raw came out to scare people, and it was kind of silly. But it's cool to see the Bible come alive before your very eyes. Again, uh, in the New Testament, Mary Magdalene, she had seven demons that were living inside of her whom Jesus cast out. So what are we to do with this demonic realm, this demonic warfare? Ephesians chapter 6 Write that verse down. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, it says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So we put on the armor of God. Read the end of Ephesians chapter six. It goes in detail of all the awesome weapons that we have as 
soldiers of the Lord. In James chapter four, verses seven and eight, it says this, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we don't need to be afraid, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, and he's greater than all the powers of darkness. Now, as Samuel was coming out of the earth, notice he didn't come down from heaven. And you're like, well, why, how come if Samuel's dead, how come he didn't come from heaven? Do you remember what the Bible teaches on the doctrine of where people would go before Jesus resurrected from the grave? In Luke chapter 16, it, we read about the rich man and Lazarus. It talks about the rich man and Lazarus. They, they both died. And they were carried into the center of the earth, both of them. And the rich man was put in this place of torment. But Lazarus, the poor man, who feared God, was there in the place of comfort. It was known as Abraham's bosom. So before Jesus came on this world, died for our sins and resurrected, all the saints, everyone who believed in God, when they perished, they would actually go into the center of the earth and to this place of comfort known as Abraham's bosom. And those who didn't believe in God, they would go into the portion of hell that was torment. Read all about that in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And I would encourage you guys to take a look at that because you see how you have all five senses in hell. Now, again, we read how Ephesians says, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, referring to Jesus, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he who also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So that was Jesus's role. One of his roles was that when he came, died on the cross, right after that, he goes down into the center of the earth, preaches liberty to the captives, And after three nights in the center of the earth, he then resurrects and we have resurrection Easter Sunday. And he takes with him all those people who were there in Abraham's bosom. So there's no longer Abraham's bosom, but hell is just one complete place. And now when we die, the Bible teaches to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, again, it says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the valley of the great fish, 
so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus referring to himself. And then we have that victory now in Christ where Jesus gives us victory over hell. He gives us victory over the grave. He gives us victory over the demonic warfare sometimes that we face. If you're in the season of demonic warfare, arm yourself up spiritually. Allow worship music to be a central part of your life. Allow reading the word of God to be a central part of your life. Allow other Christians to be in part of your life. You see, how do we get rid of darkness? We simply turn on the light because darkness can't overpower the light. So allow that light, that spiritual light, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to go into your life through reading the Bible, through praying, through fellowship. And if there's sin in your life, turn away from the sin. Cut it out. And if you're not in sin, but you're still battling with demonic warfare, know that God is allowing it to happen to sharpen you to create you a better soldier so that you can learn how to be prepared in battle, in the war. And we know that we are more than conquerors in this warfare. You see, because Jesus already, he won the war for us already. And though we're still in the battle, we have victory promised to us. Let's uh, finish these verses. Verse 21. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. So notice Saul, he still remains here with this psychic, this medium, fellowships with her, eats with her. I don't see a man who is uh, yet broken. Not yet. But I do see a note that something that Samuel said to King Saul as he came out of the, the earth, he told him that Saul and his sons would be with him the very next day. Now that could very well be referring to the fact that Saul in his last moments repented if Samuel is saying that he was going to be with him the very next day. So we hope in, in the Lord. So we see now with these lessons of First Samuel 27 and 28 to seek after the voice of the Lord, not the voice of the enemy. Don't go to other methods and other routine or other routes 
so that you can get answer and confirmation on the important matters of life. Go to Jesus directly and repent. Allow Jesus to fill your heart, your mind with his strength and know that there is no darkness that could come your way that can rob you of your salvation. That God has a plan for you, for your life, for the gifts, for the calling that he has for you. And when we are open to him and to his love and his truth, all things work together for good. This uh, morning, we are going to have communion. So I I hope you guys have your uh, communion and your your cup ready. But if you don't have that, run real quick and go get some bread and juice. Don't go out of the store to buy it. Um, And if not, then you could uh, also partake of communion. Maybe just watch this video again later on. And as a body of Christ, you could take it with us again online. Um, But I'm going to do a worship song, and then we're going to get into communion. Uh, So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your, your mercy. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that you forgive us of our sins, Lord God. Bless this time, Lord God, of worship and of partaking of communion. Prepare our hearts. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone listening right now who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior and wants to know you, wants to be rid of sin and of darkness, that you would, Father, just have your Holy Spirit lead them to do so. If that's you, I want to pray right now. If you want to accept Jesus Christ into your heart, into your mind, to be rid of sin, just follow after me in this prayer. Dear Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me by your son's blood. I accept Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.